Hello and welcome to Spotlight On, presented by Osiris Media. I'm your host, Lawrence Purrier. Today the spotlight shines on rising electro-soul artist Nick Locke, who performs under the name Pfeiffer. A songwriter and producer, Pfeiffer combines his own live guitar playing with electronic elements to create a unique vibrant twist on electronic funk, soul, and blues. We had a great time connecting, and I think that comes across in this recording. Enjoy our conversation, and then hit the episode notes to hear his music for yourself. Enjoy. How you doing today? Oh, it's been a great day so far. You know, I worked on music for a little while. Always a great way to start the day. Got a little coffee in my system, so, you know. That's always good, too. Yeah, we're styling. <laughs> Let me start by asking you, what's that look like for you? Like, what's working on music look like? It depends on the stage that I am at with whatever project I'm working on. It varies, to be honest. Like, my favorite thing to be doing would be, like, writing music. It reaches a point where the music's written, and then it's time to technically produce it Mm -hmm. and pay more attention to, like, details and less of the creative aspect and more of the science behind it. That's always you know, sometimes a challenge and requires sometimes looking up videos on how to do certain things or get better at certain things. You're always trying to push for the best sound that you can get in that stage. And then, you know, on the flip side, it's like, sometimes I have a set coming up, I have to play this weekend. And it's, oh, what am I gonna, how's the set gonna start? What is my intro gonna be? What remixes am I gonna include? What order am I gonna play the set, the songs in and leveling out the guitar and all that. So it just depends. Today was more of a day of me like m- mixing down and mastering a remix I'm working on. So more of that technical approach. What do you compose on? I'm an Ableton guy. Yeah, I love working in Ableton. I've been in it since probably, uh, you know, I've been me- I was messing around with it even back in high school. So I just love Ableton. When you're, uh, and sorry to go so deep into the process with you, but I find it fascinating. Do you sit down with the guitar or do you sit down with a MIDI controller? Like inspiration strikes you. What do you reach for? When I'm writing music and I feel inspired, I'm reaching for the guitar. I'll come up with ideas on the guitar, even if they eventually become MIDI information or say I write a melody on the guitar. I might change that to horns later, but I do. I like to write on the guitar That's my favorite and I feel like it. It unlocks like melodies that I just wouldn't be able to get to on a piano on my own. I know the theory of the piano. I wouldn't say I'm a pianist by any means. Is the guitar what you were trained on? Is that was that your first instrument? Yeah, it was always my favorite. Like my mom was always saying, if you want guitar lessons, you have to take piano lessons for a year. I started on the piano and that was really helpful. I'm glad I did. But then once I got a guitar, it was like, no looking back. And then I got into like jazz music when I was in college. I was going to school for jazz guitar. And with that came a lot of piano classes and training and that kind of thing. The piano is so helpful for understanding how music works. But when it's just like me chilling, trying to write something, I just, I like the guitar. You know, it's most comfortable for me. When you said that it was sort of what you always wanted to play or was the first thing you wanted to play, 
why who who was who was inspiring you who were you into that like what made you want the guitar my dad when he was growing up and he was a kid he always wanted a guitar and asked for an electric guitar every year for christmas and his parents like my grandparents they never actually got him one he always told me that he wanted as soon as i was of age to maybe appreciate that kind of thing to at least get me one and just see if it what i would do with it but he wanted me to have that option one year for Christmas when I was, I believe I was six or seven, but yeah, there's just a guitar that I didn't ask for under the tree. And he said, me and him, we're going to learn together. So it started off as a father son like project. And that really made it probably extra special for me. It's pretty hard for me to like think about the origins of playing guitar without thanking my dad. He worked on it with me and took lessons with me for the first few years. And then I passed him up, I think. I remember riding in his truck, hanging out when I was a little kid, and he'd be playing cassette tapes, Def Leppard, Sabotage, Metallica, all the like classics, Eric Clapton, everything that I, you know, still consider like some of my biggest inspirations. And I always just thought it was so cool. Like you'd hear like Jimi Hendrix ripping a solo, Eric Clapton, like just everybody's style is a fingerprint i always just thought it was so interesting that all these people are picking up guitars around the world but sounding so different with them i think that's a lot of the origin of why i really just love it you know it's really incredible how maybe a guitarist you're familiar with or who just whose music you know they could pick up almost any brand of guitar or any even like an acoustic versus an electric and like I've asked other guitarists that I've talked with over the years, like, where does your tone live? To a person, they always say, well, it's somewhere. Like, it's not in the equipment. Their tone is not in the equipment. That's right. It's very interesting. And I've had a fair share of guitars and a fair share of amps. Even now, like, I, I really don't use amps at all. I use all modeled amps inside the computer and effects from Ableton and Guitar Rig 6 and that kind of thing. But the true like tone that I think I'm getting is from the pickups and from the actual guitar itself. I have this one of one like Telecaster. It was originally a kit guitar and it was built by a guy who worked at Mojo Tone Pickups where I'm from in Wilmington, North Carolina. I just moved away from there actually last year, but he built the pickups himself and built the whole guitar himself. And then for whatever reason, just wanted to trade for the exact amp that I had. I met up with him and we made an exact trade. I just gave him an app. He gave me the guitar, but I've never heard a tone quite like it. So I feel like I'm finally starting to get my own fingerprint when it comes to, you know, how I sound. I was really curious about that, whether you were going through an app or were you go whether you were going right into the box. I couldn't entirely tell from some of the performance footage I saw. It also makes me curious, in your productions, is the guitar the only live instrument that you generally record or either in your own music or do you work with other musicians who use live instruments? It kind of depends on the song. I usually record guitar. I have some songs where I don't even touch the guitar and it's just not part of it as well. I'd say my favorite thing to do in the studio is record my own voice. And I do that a lot. I do that a lot throughout my discography. I've always just kind of been fascinated by that as well. I remember when I was a kid, I used to watch this show, The Fairly Odd Parents. You might have heard of it. And there was this one episode where Timmy Turner, 
he was a radio DJ for the episode. And in the studio, he had this like magic microphone and it would make his voice all deep and smooth. And he was like, I'm double T in the morning. And instead of his high pitched, like Timmy Turner voice. And I remember always thinking like, man, that would be so cool to have that microphone. And now in the studio, like I really have it. It's like this Pfeiffer persona, this voice that I've created for my brand is this deep, smooth, soulful persona. If I were to just hit the mic on my own with my own voice, I might feel vulnerable or insecure. But through a pitch shifted microphone and processing, I found this character where I can feel comfortable saying anything and really expressing myself without that level of vulnerability. So I love recording vocals and not just mine, other people's as well. And yeah, you know, I work with a fair amount of musicians like on this album, Catalyst. I have a really cool collab on there with this female singer. Her name's Kanika Moore from Doom Flamingo. She's this incredible vocalist. And then on that same track is my good friend, Jason Leach, who is just an amazing like synth player, piano player, multi-instrumentalist kind of guy. It's really cool when you have real instruments other than just what you can play. And I guess learning how to process other people's sounds and instruments and voices is a challenge, but that's really where you start to grow as a producer. And that's where you start to really be more well-rounded, I think. Like for the longest time, I wouldn't have known what to do with higher pitched vocals than my own, but just by inviting people into the studio and through collaboration, you get your feet wet a little bit. For the entire time that you've been a vocalist or have been recording your vocals, did you ever used to just use your natural singing voice or have you always processed? I love playing like acoustic guitar Mm -hmm. and singing. I've always been into recording that kind of stuff too. And I probably have maybe three tracks where my voice is a lot less processed. But somewhere along the way, it, it just fit the project. And not to say that I do it every time. I wouldn't say I've put myself in a box either where like it has to be there. Because like I, I produce a fair amount of music that has a licensed vocal track from like a record that I found digging. Like sometimes when I go through the hip hop singles bin at a record store, it'll have a acapella B-side. Yeah, yeah. And you can license that kind of thing and use it. And sometimes you find a sample that you really like, play with it and really manipulate it into something special. So I, I do a little bit of that too. But I feel like the heavily processed, like deeper, smooth voice has just kind of become, I guess, my signature vocal sound. Yeah. Who's the guest on the show today? Is it Nick or Pfeiffer? <laughs> <laughs> it's all. It's always an interesting question, you know. And uh, to be honest, I think it's important to separate the two because, I would think. like, as Nick, I am actually kind of introverted and I keep to myself sometimes and when I go and I have lots of social interactions and play shows I need that time to recharge afterwards but when I'm Pfeiffer I come out of that shell I'm always nervous to get on stage being Nick side stage just like freaking out it's time to go on and then I get up there and press play on the first track and start playing some guitar realize everything sounds good and everybody's having fun Somewhere in there, I just snap into it. 
is yeah. get into this flow state. So it it really is different. I don't know. I <laughs> it seems oddly healthy. It actually seems oddly healthy. Like it's a good like protection mechanism. Yeah, hopefully I don't end up with like split personality disorder or something. I don't know. I, I think of it more as like it's your doom mask. It's like yeah. you're putting on yeah. Exactly, exactly. But I've always been interested in the fact that through music and stepping outside of your comfort zone, even like things like processing your voice, there's all these ways that you can express yourself even if you are an introverted person or whatever. It's like, it doesn't have to hold you back. You can use it as an advantage. Yeah. I know you mentioned earlier, and I, I read about you that you're from the East Coast, from North Carolina. You're in Colorado now. Is there a scene or a sound out there that attracted you? Or was it like, you know, what's that about? For the type of music I make, which I would describe as electronic funk and soul, blues kind of thing, putting a, a new age twist on an old sound that's a classic. I would say Col like Denver, Colorado is sort of the mecca for this scene and this sound. There's a lot going on out here. And a lot of the people that I really look up to live out here as well. I was in North Carolina. I lived there for a long time, since like seventh grade. I lived in Charlotte and then moved to Wilmington for college. Wilmington's at the beach, so that was a nice place to live. Yeah. And there was a great scene there, too. I miss all my friends, and there's awesome venues. And every year there's awesome concerts that come through there. So there's no lack of inspiration or anything in North Carolina. But we got midway, three-fourths of the way through the pandemic, and I was kind of looking for that next step, and I really wanted to take a chance, a leap of faith, and see what I could really do with this music thing. And I wanted to move to a market that was really a true like, central market where everything is just happening all the time, and any night of the week you can go see artists playing and find that inspiration with murals everywhere and Denver's just got such a, a music and art scene. So yeah, I was, I was just a guy with a dream and I moved across the country to chase that dream. I talk about it a lot in this album, but it was a, an adventure that I would say also I was working with a manager. I still am. He's my manager. His name's Calhoun. He's awesome. I love working with him, but me and him, started working together probably four or five years ago. And we shared the similar goal. I really wanted to eventually sign and work with Mammoth Music Group, who's headquartered out here. And he really wanted to go to work as a manager for Mammoth Music Group. We just both really looked up to Phil Salvaggio, who runs it, and Jason Zabo and everybody who works there and also the artists that they represent like Pretty Lights and Manic Focus and Maddie O'Neill, So Down. Those are some of my biggest inspirations. We both moved out here together and moved into the same house together. Living with your manager, it's like we've been able to get a lot done, really put our heads together and have this like creative space. So I would say that like our journey to like fast forward to now, it's like we both are there. I'm signed with Mammoth and he's working at Mammoth and we got our wish and now it's time to take it up a notch once again. It's been an interesting ride. I feel like it's very rare that an artist gets to grow with their original manager and their original manager becomes like their best friend. And I think it's also rare that 
a manager would be able to grow with their original client. I was Calhoun's first client. So we've really done the whole thing as organic as possible. And I feel like after meeting like all my heroes and like all the people that run the companies that I work with, all the people I looked up to, I am so happy that they're also real and have become like such good friends. And I feel like it's a really good family fit. Denver has such a close knit community and it really is like a big family out here. So I'm happy to be part of it. And I feel like I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm in the limelight that is this genre and we're all working together to grow it and push the boundaries and make this community as awesome as possible. That's incredible. Tell me a little bit about the album. So if I'm correct, there's four tracks out so far. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Four singles and then the rest of it coming this Friday. This Friday. And it's called Catalyst. And it's my first full-length LP, my, my real debut album. I've released EPs before, and I released something close to an album when I first started, but I wouldn't say that's the sound that I was really going for yet. It was so experimental and early, and I didn't know what I was doing in the studio. So this is my first real run at releasing music that in a full work like this that I'm really proud of and excited to share with everybody, so... Something that struck me is that the four tracks taken together, it's a pretty diverse sound, right? Like you get a little bit of everything. You get some of the, quite honestly, I thought I heard some Eddie Hazel floating around in there. Definitely <laughs> heard some Funkadelic in one of the tracks. Oh, yeah. And then just some more, like a little bit more straight ahead, like of the now electronic stuff. Yeah. Like what's the fight for concept? What's it all? What's it all add up to? I'm just starting to scratch the surface of the fight for concept. I didn't really know what was going to come from setting out to write an album. I didn't know how it was going to turn out or really what I wanted it to sound like. I really knew more like what I wanted to say. My message and really honestly, my, my vision and mission statement for this whole Pfeiffer project is not really about me at all. I just want more people to pick up whatever their guitar is for them and play it for the world. It doesn't have to be music, doesn't have to be art, but I want more people doing what they're passionate about. And I want more people to feel like they can dream of a life and go out and make it real. And I want people to know that they can imagine reality for themselves and not just get stuck in these like money cycles. I want everybody to really follow their dreams and not just take the easy way out. And I think a world full of people who are following their dreams would look vastly different than the world that we're living in right now. So that's sort of uh, the message. Every song on the album is sort of, in a way, about chasing my dream or telling people that they can chase their own dream. And the final track on my album is called Reaction. And the very beginning in the intro, I like pitch my voice down like way deeper than usual. It's like this philosophical voice speaking to you from like another realm or something. It says, you have the power to live the life you dream, to feel love in your heart, find wisdom in your soul, together change the world. 
And then it keeps saying this, change the world, every action, cause a reaction, every action, cause a reaction. I just am enamored with this idea that like, wow, I basically went to a music festival in 2017. It was Halloween to be exact. It was my first ever festival I ever attended. And I saw like FKJ and I saw Manic Focus Live Band and I saw Grizz for the first time. And I was so mind blown that I had to start making music and I felt like I could do it and I felt empowered. If somebody leaves my show feeling that way, then my job's done. So I'm super happy with how the music came out, but I'm also happy that I was able to kind of hold my fundamental value intact and produce an album that I think is raw and real. You know, it might not be produced perfectly. Somebody might find something where they're like, oh, that was a little rough, but it really is me right now at this stage in my career. When I look at my favorite artists' discographies and I listen to them all the way through front to back, I can hear that growth and I can hear them growing up and finding, I guess, their sound and who they are. And I think that's what makes somebody my favorite artist. I was, I guess, trying to deliver that myself. It comes across. And I think it sort of segues into the next thing I wanted to ask you about. We talked a little bit about your process, a little bit about equipment. But one of the other things I'm curious about that seems to be an ingredient in what you do. At first, I noticed when I was looking at some of the material that your team sent over, in every picture, you've got the biggest shit-eating grin on your face. Like you're <laughs> always smiling. And then when I dug into some of the other, the material I was reading, like the idea of positivity came up a lot. And I wonder if you could just talk a little bit more about like, what is the role of positivity and what you do? And like, wh why? Why is it important to you? You know, I, I guess I want to start off by saying, first of all, I'm, you know, not always happy. It's hard to um, sometimes even always be happy when you're playing so often or always portray that that image but i think it is important because people come to a show and they want to kind of let go of what they've felt all week and they want it as an outlet and they want to they want to let go with their friends and they want to smile and they want to have a good time and um really be the most authentic version of themselves that's kind of what i want for everybody who's in the crowd or like listening. It's like, I want everybody to be the most authentic version of themselves. And I also think that a lot of times people who are DJing or playing music, you know, in sort of a DJ fashion, there's idea that you have to control the flow of music. And if you do it right, you'll have everybody dancing and you'll have the energy of the room will be intense and it'll be what you're going for. I have a different approach to it. I think that by leading by example and being really being what I want to see that everybody will follow suit and will start to also find that pocket of flow state like I find on stage. The way that I do it is so real as well. I feel like it's not a act. It's not it's not some sort of just like show like thing I'm doing for a show to like make the show more interesting. I also felt things all week and I also have things I need to release and I also need this outlet 
And for me, that's what it is. Sometimes before I get on stage, I'm like dragging a little bit. It's been a long week. It's Friday. It's 11 o'clock. I'm kind of tired or whatever. Then when I get up there and I get five minutes in, I just can't stop smiling. <laughs> I just I just can't stop feeling so happy because one, I'm so blessed to do music and what I love for a living. But two, it's it's like once I get it out and I've released the tension or whatever is bothering me or the stress and I just forget about everything except just the music, that's when I find my happiest moments. So it's much it's as, it's as much of a transformation on stage for me sometimes as it is for somebody who comes to the show feeling the same way and leaves just like in that flow state and in that level of happiness. So wow. I try to let the music take me to a certain extent. Yeah. We'll be back with more Spotlight On presented by Osiris Media after this break. And now back to Spotlight On. When you're experiencing that as the person on the stage, are you able to perceive the audience at all? What's your experience of the crowd? Do you get the energy back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some sometimes it's it's hard to tell because there'll be too much like haze in the air. Sometimes you're on stage and you really can't see everybody out there, so you, you don't know for sure how it's going over or how people are feeling. And then some nights you have different crowds some people sometimes you know people are really just dancing and you can tell other times people are not so active or whatever but it's important to realize though that your goal on stage is not to just like magically snap your fingers and have this like superpower that like everybody in the audience is having a good time and having fun it's more along the lines of like, as a performer, you want to focus intrinsically. You want to say, okay, I'm going to get on this stage and I'm going to have a really good time. And I'm going to play the music that I love to play that I've worked hard on. And this is going to be what I want it to be. Don't worry so much about how people are visually appearing in the crowd. I think that Sometimes I've had people come up after shows and I'd noticed while I was on stage that they were just in the back, just hanging out, not really a dancer. But then that person comes up after the show and is just enamored and really happy with what went on. And I, I just remember that some people are more or less comfortable in every situation. Some people know more or less people at a show. Some people come alone. And just like, you know, didn't have anything else going on that night. Sometimes people come because they're in a bad mood or they're going through something and they just need to take their mind off of it for a little while. So I, I try to let everybody in the audience control themselves intrinsically and worry about that aspect. And then I worry about only the variables that I can control. I also, for that matter, I try to play the songs that I really want to play. And I don't worry too much about, oh, this vibe isn't going over well. Let me switch it up. I don't know. I'm not, I'm more of a producer than a DJ. I came to play the music that I really love. I do care if somebody's not feeling it, but also I want to stay true to myself and really present like 
a Pfeiffer show. That's interesting. So it's what you're setting an environment for them to have their experience. You're not necessarily dictating the experience. Yeah. And somebody might fall in love that night and it could start a whole life for them. Or somebody might leave there and decide, hey, I'm going to follow my dreams because that guy did it. And now I feel like I can do it. Or, you know, somebody might leave there and decide they're going to start a nonprofit or a business or they want to go start therapy. They want to work something out in their lives. But I'm really into the idea that music and coming to shows, like while it is fun and it can be a party, I love when people come for the music and for the reaction and for the change the world. Because what we're doing here is like bigger than just the party. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a sense yet of how any of the new tracks, like how much of this has been tested out on a crowd at this point? Have you played everything or are you focused on a couple of the singles? Like, tell me about your experience with the new songs and a live audience. I've played probably nine of the 10 songs live. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I've been kind of rocking them for a while because even before they were done, I think it's important, one, to test them on big speakers and know how they translate in every environment before you actually put them out. But two, I make a performance track of every master that I, I'm going to release, and it has no guitar in it. It has holes for things like solos or like other instrumentation to happen. So I think it's important to try those out as well and see how the guitar sits with everything. Or if I'm going to have somebody perform live with me, like my buddy Captain, who's on my song Seven Days, see how his synthesizer fits into the mix and start to just tweak it for perfection. That being said, I also think that it's cool when people are dropping unreleased songs that you could only get live. It makes people really understand that by coming to the shows, they are an insider. And I think that's important. Somebody, when they come to a show... I don't want them to just hear the same things that they could get on Spotify and listen to. I want to show up with surprises and really catch someone by surprise and knock them off their feet and push the boundaries. And so I'm always coming up with not only just using songs on my album or like songs that aren't released, but coming up with remixes, sometimes even the night before, and just always trying to keep it fresh and switch up the set. I just think that's cool. Yeah, and then as far as the album goes, I've dropped most of the tracks. There's one track I haven't dropped yet because it's a little more of a streaming song, maybe. But if I had the people who collabed on it live, it would go off live. But I kind of want to like debut it with them. It's called Where You Are, and it's with Kanika Moore and Jason Leach. And I really want to eventually perform it live with them for the first time. I'm kind of saving that one as a special one. I just think that they would do such a good job. And I know that there's a couple of festivals coming up that we're all going to be at the same place at the same time. So you never know what could happen. <laughs> <laughs> and go get that plug in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. How self-contained are you in terms of your production? Like, is the record all self-produced or do you find that or to say it slightly different, do you ever find that you need a little bit of outsider to help you like get back on track or get perspective? Or like, are you the visionary and you just go do it? 
the album is definitely self-produced and also self-mastered. I keep everything in-house. I do understand that I might be able to arrive at a more commercialized and polished sounding outcome by using engineers and people who are just more experienced than I am. But I also recognize the fact that, like I said earlier, the when you listen to a, someone's discography front to back, you should be able to hear them grow. I think that it's okay that I'm not perfect yet in the studio. And I think that the only way I'm going to get better and really grow is by just keep putting myself in the hot seat. Obviously, I, I reach these points in my mix down sometimes where something's not working and I can't put my finger on it and I can't figure it out. And then I go to someone like Manic Focus or Matty O'Neill, and I just I just ask them what what's going on here. I was trying to mix down this song the '80s on my album. What I do is I, I have a bass synth and I cut out all the sub, and then I have a sub, and I cut out all the highs in it, and then I layer them together, and then they sit together. But the bass synth was sounding too sharp; it just wasn't blended. You couldn't hear it as one sound. You could just hear ingredients. So I took it to Manic Focus, and I was like, man, what's going on here? He just, like, went through my chain, turned things on and off, you know, just, like, see, like, A-beat them, see, like, how they're doing, like, what their true effect is. And basically, I just overproduced it. He turned off a couple of EQs and a couple of side chains, and boom, it's like there was the the low mid-range that I was looking for to like blend the sounds together. It had just been hidden in the fact that I overproduced it because my ears were fried and I was making mixing mistakes because I'd been working on it for too long. With self-producing an album comes all these problems and comes this facade too that, oh, I like really need this mix to be like perfect. I don't know. There's, there's perfection in imperfection. I think that we are at a point in electronic music where it doesn't all have to be this like commercialized sound. I think that people are refreshed by a raw sound right now. For sure. By delivering raw music that's well done and also having real lyrics that mean real things for me and everybody listening. I'm able to kind of take the eyes a little bit off of is this mix perfect and put the emphasis more on the fact that wow this is like a cool artistic vision and then you know i have friends to help me when i get confused and i can ask advice and over time everything's going to keep sounding more and more polished and yeah it's i try to keep it self-contained but not to say i won't ask for help <laughs> <laughs> that that little bit of like the organic element i really like seeing that juxtaposed with electronic music and with electronic elements it creates obviously there's more palette but there's also a little more tension it's something i found very interesting just by the idea that you play the real instrument that you play the guitar and that you do it also on stage like it's it's more than a gimmick it's a very yeah. interesting element to to what you have cooking well thanks man yeah i'm glad i'm glad you think so eventually i'd like to get to the point where i can do that smooth deep pfeiffer voice on stage as well I just maybe need a little bit more computing power because I run into issues like latency when I'm doing that level of processing on my voice. I think it's coming in the near future. I'll get it dialed in as well. So 
that that'll be something cool to spice up the performances too. Do you ever see yourself having more fleshed out band members? Could you imagine a scenario where where it's actually not maybe not a full band, but something band like? I really would love to have my own live band. I wouldn't do the live band every time, but I'd save it for special occasions. Big festival plays on main stages, maybe like a New Year's Eve or a Halloween, something that's like a special occasion destination kind of event. I really want to put together a live band and I keep going back and forth on on who I would want to call into that. I have so many friends who are so good at so many instruments. It might be just like a mixture of whoever, you know, a roster and whoever can make it. I would love to at least have a drummer in the time being, not all the time, but to spice up the show. And I'd love to have Captain Rockin' Synth with me. That would be really fun. Me and him have done a couple of performances together where it was like a like both of us put together a set and performed it. And then on the side of the Pfeiffer Project, I do the Gradient Perspective live band, which is me and Josh Teed and Dreadlock and Star Fox. So Star Fox is a horn player. Josh plays violin and Dreadlock plays ukulele and saxophone and a few other things. Then me with the guitar and then there's the DJ component where we're all kind of going back-to-back and working the boards. That's sort of like more of a live band feel. So I really like doing that. We've got a couple of shows coming up together. And then I play in Manic Focus's live band as well on guitar. I've really been starting to get my feet wet with on-stage collaboration and not just doing my own thing. And I've really been having a great time with it. And I've been learning some of the secrets that like make it all possible, like feeding a click track to your drummer. Because like in a DJ situation, while you have a drummer, the drummer's not keeping the tempo. They're going along with what you're with what you're throwing down. I was always confused. It's like, how do I make my Ableton go along with the exact speed of a drummer? But it's the other way around. You feed them a click track and then they're rocking with you. So there, there's all these little tricks that I'm learning that make it a little easier and make me wrap my head around more going on on stage as I grow as an artist. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely plan on, on on getting there with that. So the record drops Friday and then you go into festival season like it's now it's time to go to work. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually have this big show coming up on April 7th in Denver at Meow Wolf. I've done co-headline shows out here in Denver before, but I haven't done a, a headline show myself yet. And so this is my first big headline show. And I'm pretty much in, you know, I'm, I'm just working all the time on trying to make special remixes of some classic songs for that and have a lot of new material ready to go in April. So I really just want to wow everybody. I want everybody to walk in there with expectations and just blow them out of the water. It's also a very special event because there's an artist on direct support that I look up to very much. His name is Slink. He's Australian. He lives in Canada now. But he's finally coming to play some shows in the U.S. for the first time in six, maybe seven years. And I look up to him because he's always made all these production videos on YouTube that I watched. And it taught me a lot about how to use Ableton and how to how to get a cleaner result in the studio. So it's an honor to have him on the show. I'm really looking forward to that. 
we've got dreadlock who's one of my best friends he taught me a lot about production and djing on that show as well i'm really looking forward to that and then yeah right after that is festival season so i i couldn't be more excited i've got summer camp this year which is always an honor to play i really appreciate ian and everybody over there looking out for me and we've got sonic bloom coming up which is just an amazing festival really appreciate everybody at sonic bloom for the support and everything too a nice summer heating up for sure and i'm stoked to have an album to present for that just makes it more of a intentional festival season rather than just trying to scrape some music together and play a set i really feel like i i dug deep and wrote something that i can be proud of and bring to the stage every time and people are excited to hear it how long is your average set when you get up on stage it's a, it depends. I Usually like an hour 15, sometimes an hour 30. Getting any longer than that gets tough. I don't really like to play more than like an hour and a half. Some Sometimes you got to, you know, if you're in, you're in direct support or something or you're in a first to three opener on a show, sometimes you got to bend down to like 45 minutes. That's tough too. Yeah, I bet. I feel like an hour to an hour 15 is the sweet spot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, man, thank you. Thank you so much for spending time. I'm looking forward to hearing the whole record on Friday. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate all your time, too. And I love the questions. I loved, uh, loved hanging with you. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Nick Locke and Pfeiffer, whichever of you are listening. And as always, thank you for listening to Spotlight On, which is presented by Osiris Media. Executive producers are Lawrence Purrier, RJB, Brian Brinkman and Matt Dwyer. Our producer is Michael Donaldson, and theme music is by Cuburn's Abstract Message. If you like what you've heard, please share us with a friend and leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. Visit us online at spotlightonpodcast.com or at spotlightonpod on both Instagram and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Be safe and stay in touch. Stay in touch.